Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. Oh, it is beautiful down here. You ought to come down and check it out. You can see Sandy Max is in the studio with me. Greg Matzik is here. Debbie Lazica as well. Adam Roberts screening calls this afternoon. You can check it out. It is absolutely fantastic. This glass studio is right across from where they're putting in a Vietnamese restaurant. There's like 20 different food vendors. There's games for the kids. There's all sorts of stuff. We'd love for you to come on by and say hello. There's a sequin wall. One of those walls where you can run your hands up and down and the sequins change color. There's a big chalk wall, too. Yes. Make little art things on the chalk wall. All right. What are we tracking this afternoon? This is the three. At 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Sandy, where do we start? Another round of winter weather coming our way in southeastern Wisconsin. Ooh, you got that right. Winter storm warning in effect for most of southeast Wisconsin beginning 6 o'clock tonight. Runs through 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. The timing is interesting. So most of today's rush hour coming up here in the next couple of hours should be okay. Should be dry conditions unless you're headed west. Right now, it's snowing a little bit out near Madison, but in our area, Oconomowoc, it's not there yet. But tomorrow morning's rush likely to not be much fun. It will snow overnight pretty steady. Looks like four to six inches is still what they're calling for. Stay here with us. We will be joined live by meteorologist Brendan Johnson coming up here in about 25 minutes. He'll be with us live and give us the very latest on the track of this winter storm. What's next? For our Milwaukee skyline, things are moving up at the Couture. In addition to luxury apartments and a transit hub, there are going to be 50,000 square feet of retail space on the site. Our producer, Adam Roberts, got a hard hat tour of the site today. He spoke with Barrett Lowe, CEO and founder, Rick Barrett. I always say Milwaukee is the show-me city. I know they use Missouri as a show-me state, but I think we're a city of show-me-the-retail space, let, let us walk it, and with that, we will invest in it. Going to be a big project. It's going to be an exciting project. And uh, producer Adam was telling us that once they start going on this thing, it is like every four days they will add a new story. That's how fast it will tick, 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 grow into the skyline. Yeah. That's four, remarkable. <laughs> 44 stories? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Once they go, it's going to go. That's for sure. All right, and, what's uh, the third se- thing? I would say it seems to be on schedule for the 2024 openings. So. Yeah. Oh, and I should also say there's mm-hmm. much more on this on our digital platform. So go to WTMJ.com and you can see a lot of good stuff related to the couture. All right, what is the third thing? Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says Governor Tony Evers' proposal to use surplus dollars to fund necessary improvements to American Family Field is likely dead. Uh, That's the word he used. Now, he did say, to be fair, that he's hopeful a plan will emerge and funding will emerge, but he says the plan as proposed by the governor is one that's not very good for the taxpayers. He said it's dead on arrival. He says this is something that should not happen, but... But, but, he said, we will continue to talk. The Brewers, by the way, are clinging to that fact that he did not throw out the entire plan. Rick Schlesinger saying that uh, he didn't shut the door on a proposal altogether. Tim Sheehy is the guy in charge of the Baseball Center District Board, and he will be with us live in the studio to talk through this in detail coming up next. It is 313 at WTMJ. All right, we spent a lot of time talking with Tim Sheehy, the president of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce, and also the guy in charge of the uh, board for the Wisconsin Baseball District, about this funding idea that the governor floated, $200 million for long-term 
Family Field Improvements, American Family Field Improvements. Tim is with us in the studio. It's not easy for you to say no when you're just two doors down, is it? That's very true. Get down here. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for being here because the news today, Tim, is that uh, Robin Voss, the speaker, basically told reporters at the Capitol today that the plan as currently laid out is dead on arrival. It's not the right mechanism to fund what's going to happen out there at American Family Field. But to be fair, he did say he's open to a plan, but this isn't the plan. And this is kind of what you told us a long time ago, that the plan unveiled by the governor, just a starting point. Is that a fair assessment? It's a fair assessment. But, you know, as we've talked about this, the real starting point was when we built the stadium and we put the team in there. That was the starting point. So we built the house. We're at the point now where we want to extend the life of the house. From the Stadium Park District Board's perspective, we have about 85 to $90 million left from our sales tax collections, rent the brewers pay, and interest we're going to earn. And it's important to us because we're going to spend it differently if the end of the lease is 2030 and the brewers have five two-year extensions. We're going to spend that money differently than if we know the brewers are going to be here till 2043. So it not only impacts the new funding, but it impacts how we spend the money we have today. I want to ask you about a couple of things that the speaker seems particularly to have an issue with. One of them is he thinks the brewers are not guaranteeing to stay here long enough. He implied that to give them this money and to work with them into the future, they should make more of a commitment, that the, that the years they've added on to the end of this is not enough. Um, he's saying that maybe it should be double that, that we should ask them to stay a lot longer. Is that going to happen? Could that happen? Well, I, I certainly think there should be room to negotiate how long that extension is. And the extension is going to be determined by how much funding there is and whether the team feels like there's enough funding in there to keep the stadium to the level that they expect it to be to play Major League Baseball in. So I would assume there's some wiggle room between how much funding is put in and the commitment that the Brewers make to extend a lease. Normally, it's tie- normally you borrow money, and it's tied to the mm-hmm. term of the bond funding. Mm-hmm. But in this case, as we know, the positives from the governor's perspective when he introduced this is, one, it's cash up front, so you get the benefit of earning interest, and two, you don't have any borrowing costs. But again, the speaker's question is fair. Is it long enough? I, I want to ask you, I-, I hate to get into personal stuff like people when they gripe about little personal things, but... Mm-hmm. The speaker is also very irritated that he wasn't part of detailed conversations that apparently the brewers and other voices were talking to the governor, and the governor unveiled this. Robin Voss didn't have a seat at that table, according to him. Devin Lemahue, the Senate Majority Leader, didn't have a seat at the table. Was that a misstep? Would that have alleviated some of this if there was at least some discussion, or is that impractical? No, it, it, it could have, but in all fairness, this also happens when the governor and legislature are of, this, are of the same party. Um, and again, I, it's the only reference point we have in the stadium. I go back to when we were doing this with Tommy Thompson. There was no legislative leadership in the room when we were negotiating with the Brewers on the term of a lease. They were not in those discussions, and there was a case where the governor was the same party as the legislative leadership. So, you know, it's early. You know, bringing them in is better, but it, it it's not necessarily a Democrat or Republican thing. With Robin Voss calling this now dead. Yesterday, how does this affect yesterday's announcement of the Home Crew Coalition of about 10 restaurateurs and Peggy Williams-Smith from Visit Milwaukee? They definitely want to keep the brewers here for a lot of economic ripple reasons. Does this make their job 
certainly makes it tougher. Does it make them real players in this situation to try to find bipartisan support for this surplus money? Yeah, I don't think the solution is overly complex. People's reactions to this are complex. Um, and so when you when we say the speaker says it's dead, what he's saying is this proposal is dead or it's dead until I find out if I have a better one or some elements of this proposal may um, emerge as a part of the final solution. So the good news is nobody is saying that this is dead like they said um, in 1995 or 96 when this passed where the Senate said twice, no, it's dead. The statewide impact of the Brewers, I think we've talked about that, I think, even yesterday. But I also, in the back of my mind, Tim, think about the area between the Harley Museum on Canal Street to the stadium and what the future of that district looks like. I envision that being a hub for activity, a little more so than it is industry-based at this point. Is that still part of the long-term vision and plan? And and how does that fit into the Brewers actually being here and on the ground in Milwaukee to make that successful? It's a really good question, and I guess the two answers to it is if there's an extension long-term with the Brewers, people will think differently about development in the Valley than if there isn't an extension. Um, and whether or not that's um, industrial housing, I mean, the Brewers have not talked at all about developing anything around the ballpark, and the Menominee Valley is really kind of fully built out in terms of the complement uh, that we have of, of business and industry down there uh, and, and some recreation. But to your question, the point is, if people know the brewers are going to be here for another 13, 14, 15 years, they'll think about that differently than if it's a question as to whether or not the stadium is going to have a team. If you had to bet the mortgage on your house on whether or not this gets done and the brewers get almost $300 million or the stadium district gets it, that's how I should have phrased it, or they don't, which way are you betting? This happens or this doesn't happen in some form? Well, just for the record, in case my wife's listening, I'm not betting the mortgage. <laughs> this is theoretical. Uh, but but the answer is I believe we're going to get to a solution, and it's going to be an exchange for length of term and amount of money that we feel is necessary as uh, taxpayers to keep that stadium under the lease that we have with the brewers in good condition. Can I ask you about a different topic? Sure. Uh, Milwaukee Business Journal had a very interesting story about the hop, the streetcar in Milwaukee, and how after four years of failing to get federal funding to extend it to Pfizer Forum, they have decided not to even seek that funding this year. I guess the question isn't about that, but the hop, the way it was designed, and where it goes now and where it does not go, for it to be efficient and better used, do we need to extend the hop? Yeah, it's a really good question, and people blow hot and cold on the hop. Uh, the former mayor used to say he could tell right away when somebody asked him a question about it. If they asked him about the downtown transit system, he knew they were supporters. If they asked about the trolley, he knew they were not supporters. <laughs> so when we talk about the hop, it was always designed to be extended. Nobody envisioned a system with the current footprint that we have. The question, I think, for the community today is, the city is in a fiscal condition that people would question whether or not this is the highest priority. And, and I'm not saying that I'm a proponent or an opponent of it. I'm just saying people would question uh, whether that is the highest priority to put capital and operating expense into. But I can tell you this from everything I've seen, there is no way the hop was designed to run it only in the footprint that it's in today. Let's talk about political capital. Is it a valid strategy if you're a leader in Milwaukee County or the city of Milwaukee and you know you're going to be asking for the, the right to ask for an increase in the sales tax and you're going to be asking for other relief on other issues to say, hey, i got to back off on asking 
Madison for help on the streetcar because these other things are more important to the people I represent? Well, so it's a really good question. And when you ask a question, people expect a yes or no answer. Um, the answer for Milwaukee, if it does not get a sales tax and increase shared revenue, um, we'll be sharing sooner a report from the Wisconsin Policy Forum that they did for us. But I can tell you definitive, by 2028, the city will have to cut at least $133 million a year from its $640 million budget. That's wow. a 20% cut. So under those conditions, the city needs a sales tax. It needs additional shared revenue. It needs to get its pension house in order. And, and, and we can do that while we're talking about other um, expenditures. But I think it's in that challenging context that people are addressing whether to expand the hop or not. Tim Sheehy is the president of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce. Always great to have your insight, Tim. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for allowing me to be here. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. All right, the storm is marching our direction. We are joined by meteorologist Brendan Johnson. Hey, Brendan, how you doing? Yeah, hey, guys. Good afternoon to you. Busy day in the weather office. Yeah, so we're looking at the radar right now, and it looks like it's starting to snow. Uh, it, it's into Madison for sure, and very light snow, it looks like, south of the Milwaukee area. Is this trekking how you expected it to? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we had a lot of dry air over southeast Wisconsin today, so it basically eats up some of that snowfall, and that's really what we're dealing with in Milwaukee. But already hearing reports of snow falling from Janesville back to around Burlington, Lake Geneva area, East Troy. Uh, so that is slowly making its way into the Milwaukee metro, and it'll be on our doorstep here in uh, probably the next couple of hours. Okay, so everybody kind of wants to know the trek, and it seems like the trek has been the same the last several days, that all of southeast Wisconsin and northern Illinois are going to get some of this. Is that about right? Yeah, we're looking at widespread uh, four- to six-inch accumulations for much of southeastern Wisconsin. That, yep, includes northern Illinois as well. For folks near Lake Michigan, and this has been also a part of the forecast, uh, that some lake enhancement could drive up our totals anywhere between six to eight inches of snow. Worst time to be out on the roads is going to be late this evening around 9, 10 o'clock and continuing overnight till about sunrise tomorrow morning. So you say close to the lake. Like, I live in Menominee Falls. Is that considered close to the lake, or is it Waukesha? Yeah. Or is it the metro air? What is close to the lake? Yeah, so I think we would go out as far west as about Waukesha, uh, anywhere that is under, yeah, anywhere that's under that winter <laughs> storm warning. So that includes Waukesha County. Uh, same thing with Menominee Falls as well. We could be looking at that six to potentially eight inches of snowfall. You've been warned, John. Yeah, I'm not happy, and I know it's not your fault. That's a really good question, though, because I would think close to the lake. I have a friend who lives in Washington Heights, so I kind of told her, like, oh, you'll probably not get that. Yeah, that's not close to the lake. So this this Uh, is good information to have, and I'm looking at the closings. Uh, So far, there's some snow emergency communities like Village of Sturdivant and Watertown, West Dallas, St. Francis, but I'm not seeing a lot of school closings. So do you think this is one of those snowfalls that we get up a little bit early tomorrow, clear it out of our driveways, and that's going to pretty much be it for a few days? You know, that uh, that great question. You know, I think a lot of the superintendents uh, may be waiting until tomorrow morning to really kind of see how things are shaping up. Uh, Weather service, that's who they lean on, usually do a briefing in the morning. Uh, I see, you know, us clearing the snow tomorrow morning from the heaviest, uh, but we still do have probably an opportunity to see some snow showers, even through that morning commute tomorrow. So I think it is going to be pretty messy trying to get to work tomorrow morning. We should see this all begin to taper off by midday tomorrow with a few flurries possible uh, near 
near the lake. So in Milwaukee, probably could be dealing with some flurries into the early afternoon. Uh, yeah, I just got a note from somebody who said the superintendents are meeting this afternoon. So they might not make a decision, but they're at least starting to meet this afternoon and try to figure it out. Yep. Okay, uh, time it out for us. Can you kind of start tonight and lead us through the next five days? What's it looking like? Yeah. Absolutely. So we're looking at uh, the snowfall continuing here through this afternoon, again, picking up its pace from this evening into the overnight. Uh, again, widespread four to six inch accumulations higher near the shore of Lake Michigan, the first tier of counties or so in the winter storm warning. Uh, the headlines from the Weather Service go into effect at six o'clock tonight and continue through about nine or ten o'clock tomorrow morning, depending on where you are. We'll start to see those snow showers kind of dwindle on our Friday highs in the mid 30s. We're down into the 20s overnight into Saturday. I think most of your Saturday is going to be fairly calm. We've got another snow system, though, that will work through the area Saturday night into Sunday. Could pick up a quick dusting to potentially two or three inches of snowfall. Mid-30s through the weekend. We'll drop the temperatures on Monday. A couple more flurries possible. And then trending cooler as we head into Tuesday with some sunshine at least. Low 30s. We'll pick up some more clouds heading into Wednesday and Thursday, though, of next week with temperatures in the low 40s. So I guess uh, the best tip of advice with the storm system moving in, if you do have travel plans here late tonight, avoid it if you can, but be very careful if you must head out. Meteorologist Brendan Johnson. We'll check back in in a couple hours. Thank you, Brendan. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. This is not fair. We had an, You knew this was going to happen because we had an easy January. Remember, it was like yep. the fourth warmest January ever. There was almost no snow, and then ba-boom! The mild temperatures. We knew some shoes were going to drop. We knew it. Yep. Let's hope it's contained to March. <laughs> the, I looked at the long-range forecast for the next three weeks. It's supposed to be cold. Below average. So yeah. once again, we had warm temperatures in January, and now we're going to freeze our butts off in March. It is 343. What to do with those plants in your yard, or what to think about as we get to where it's kind of spring, kind of not spring. The plant, Dr. Melinda Myers, with us live in the studio. We just got a text on the old National Bank talking text line. Uh, snowing real good here in Franksville, 124th and Highway K, almost a mild whiteout. Oh, my. So thanks for the uh, sense check on the winter yeah. weather that's coming. Be careful out there. Be really careful out there. Uh, Linda Myers is the plant doctor. She's got a bunch of free webinars coming up, and I use her book regularly, the Midwest Gardener's Handbook. I have both the first and the second edition because I'm kind of a groupie. Uh, Melinda's with us live in the studio. How are you, Melinda? I'm doing great, thanks. Despite the weather forecast, like all of us are cringing a bit, and we're anxious. These last couple warm days made us yeah. really excited for spring, but this is a reminder, it's Wisconsin and so, it's March. So we haven't gotten real warm yet, like in the last month, at least in my yard, in my beds. I haven't had stuff starting to really poke up yet. So we're okay, right? Because nothing's come through. It's just like a normal March. Is there anything we should be thinking about, about the stuff that normally comes up? Or no, it'll do its thing. You know, I walked around. I'm a little bit west. I'm in Waukesha County. And so I've got bulbs up a couple inches. Dawn, who works with me, is like on 82nd Street. And she had winter aconites, which are beautiful yellow blooms, and snowdrops flowering. March 4th is the earliest I've ever had them bloom. It's usually April 15th wow. when I lived in Milwaukee. So some things are a bit early. The snow is the best insulation. We hate to shovel it, but shovel first, de-icing salt second, okay? Because anytime you put the salt down and you shovel it onto your lawn, onto yep. your garden beds, you do some damage. And the other thing is this spring, we want to make sure that we give those garden beds the lawn right along walks that may have been salted or the roads, the salt coming off of cars. Give them a good soaking if we don't have good rains this spring. That'll help wash some of that salt through and help your plants recover more quickly. 
So last year, I was kind of proud of myself because I did a better job than normal keeping the sidewalk. Michelle's always on me about, can you get the sidewalk cleared? I mean, well, yeah, because we get Amazon every single day. So I was making sure the sidewalk was cleared, but I used ice melt. And so I would use it, and then I shoveled. And I ruined, like, the first two inches of my lawn on the one side of the sidewalk was gone. I mean, I killed it. I had to reseed. You're not alone. Trust me. The reason I give this advice is I've seen it before. In fact, when I worked for the city of Milwaukee, one of our jobs was to replace sod for the police department. And so they would salt heavily. Obviously, you're going to the police station. You're not in a good mood. So they'd salt heavily. We finally put pavers that match the the brick of the building on the edge. So when they shoveled, the de-icing salt infested snow, so to speak, would melt in those pavers and save the lawn. So sometimes having that little bit of a border on your sidewalk, or if your walk is wide enough, trying to leave a little bit on either side, but shovel first. I'm sure you won't do that again. Maybe others will heed your advice. You gave me a great idea. I'm just going to pave the whole front yard. (laughs) Well, maybe not quite that much. (laughs) green. He's already taken the snowblower to the front yard for the dog. I have to snowblow the front yard. Why not? Okay. Uh, So everyone, I don't do it every year, but Melinda, part of like a yard package i have is like a tree and shrub pruning right uh we didn't get that done this year i don't like taking a hedge clippers to anything that has a leaf on it already am i too late if i missed out and like pruning some of the shrubs i have around the house good question so if the buds haven't broken it's a great time to do your pruning and i think looking at my yard check your yard see if the buds haven't started swelling when the leaves start when the buds start expanding that's when the bark's really sensitive so we either want to do it before or right after the leaves are fully expanded or early into summer things like forsythia and lilac already set their flower buds so minimal pruning because if you do a lot of pruning especially if you shear and shape them you get rid of most of the flowers, and there's no point to have those shrubs unless you get the flowers. So you're probably still okay. Take a look. Things look pretty dormant by me, but, you know, spotty microclimates all around southeast Wisconsin. Because I was waiting for the dormant season. I have neglected my sweet honey locust, whose name is Honey, and my (laughs) bur oak, whose name is Buddy. So you know. There are tree children, but I've been waiting for the dormant season to get them trimmed and pruned. And then we had this crazy mild December and after that terrible freeze around Christmas, but we had this mild January, and I truly had to call an arborist and say, have we had a dormant season? Because I don't want to kill these trees. <laughs> right, and you're absolutely right. Honey locusts, as you know, are susceptible to nectary canker, oaks, oak wilt, so we want to prune them when they're dormant, meaning the leaves are off. So the plants are dormant. We want to get out there soon. Hopefully your arborist is able to get out there soon. Just did it last Friday. Excellent. So, <laughs> you, And having a good relationship with an arborist is important. You know, if there's a storm and there's ice damage, they're taking care of their regular customers first, right? Those are the people they've maintained the plants. So it's good to have somebody out there to make sure they're properly pruned, reduce the storm damage, but you're at the top of their list as well. So I have hydrangea, and I've made the mistake of cutting them down to the ground in the fall, and then they don't bloom well the next year. So this year, I left the big leafy, I mean, the big, thick stems, stems out. Now am I stuck leaving those stems out forever? Do so, I ever cut them down to the ground? So did you have, do you have the ones with the big flowers that should be pink in our alkaline soil and blue in acid soil? Yes. So those are big leaf hydrangeas, and they bloom, they're probably a repeat bloomer, like endless summer, yep, summer crush, one of those. And they bloom on old wood, so they've set their flower buds. So the mm-hmm. benefit of leaving it stand is if anything survives low to the ground, mm-hmm. any flower buds, you might get early bloom. Then they'll put out flowers on their second flush. 
Um, so wait, whatever's dead, prune back to healthy buds. And then I recommend doing um, a treatment with milorganite, just one application in the spring. And what happens is it not only contains non-leaching phosphorus, phosphorus is good for flowering, mm-hmm. fruiting, and rooting, but it also helps release some of the phosphorus bound to our soil. We have lots high to excessive levels. That's going to help promote blooms, that second flush, even if you don't get the first flush. It also helps release some of the potassium, which is good for um, hardiness and disease resistance. So you're not too late. Just wait. When those buds start to swell, prune all the dead stuff back, which might be to the ground anyway. And then you'll get some new growth, hopefully early flowers, but hopefully second flush Midsummer to late summer. But what I heard you really say was once again, my wife was right. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> so I'm excited that you asked because I have a hydrangea bush in my front yard. I, yeah. I love having the luxury of talking to you, Melinda. Because, I know. But I don't want to bring all my personal things. She's like, oh, I have a big leaf because I've done some research. Like, okay, I have big leaf. But I still have like a dead head on there. So I'm like, oh, should I leave that or should I trim that? You'll have time to trim. I leave stuff stand for winter. Great for the pollinators. We want to wait till we have like 50 degrees temperatures consistent, not for two days and then 19 below. And consistent, and then we can do our trimming. I did a webinar on hydrangeas. I have a really detailed handout that, if anyone's interested, Diana will hate me, but just go info at melindamyers.com, and we'll send you a link. I'm always happy to answer questions. Yeah. But if I'm not in somebody's home, they can check that out. And I do a lot of detail and pruning, because hydrangeas are pretty... They're kind of mysterious, you know, what do I I fertilizer, when do I, you know, what do I prune when? So I try to address that in that handout with lots of helpful links, too, to help you be more successful. I feel like I have a personal therapist. This is good. I think this is like, okay, so here's what you need to do. If you want to get in touch with Melinda, go to melindamyers.com. By the way, upcoming appearances are there. You can get the book there. The webinars are listed there, right, Melinda? You bet. All of that at melindamyers.com. I was just on the website earlier today. It's a great website. Everything you need to know as we head through the rest of the year. The plant doctor, Melinda Myers. It's always good to see you. Thank you, Melinda. Great to see all of you as well.